right, good morning, New Life East. So glad you're with us today. Feel free to stand up with us and also move in close. Let's get welcoming here. Let's make room for everybody coming on in. Let's lift our eyes to the Lord. Give him all the worship we can. Come on. Rise my soul. Rise my soul. For there is glory to behold. It's the beauty of the living Lord. God be praised. God be praised. Come on, let's fix our eyes. Fix your eyes on the only one who satisfies. The time has come to lift him high. Oh, God be praised. Come on, every voice is praise the Lord. And praise the Lord, my soul. With everything that's in me, praise the Lord, my soul. With everything that's in me. Let me 
you guys let's scoot on in if we can let's create room for everybody coming on in that's just such a welcoming thing to do and before we continue singing together actually I would like us just to take a moment if you would just open your hands with me let's still our hearts still our minds God we're here for you today we set our attention on you whether we had the best or worst week we've ever had God you're worthy of our attention today Sometimes when the, the going gets tough, I think we have the, the inclination to tense up like we're preparing to get hit and we want to be tough. I just want to let you know in this space with the Lord, we, we can actually relax and we say, we're not going to tense up. We're going to open our hands to him. So if that's you, if you've been tense, you're struggling, if you're preparing for the next hit, let's invite the master today to have his way. He's the great planner. He knows everything that's happening. Lord, we focus on you. We trust in you because you're faithful. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's lean into that.
Just a spark, let the stars to warm and move the earth. Just one breath, empty flesh, awoke a child of God. All creation calls, behold.
God reigns. That's the core affirmation of the scriptures, that our God reigns, that all that's happening in our world, all that's happening in our lives, that all of that is held by capable hands and it's being carried to a good conclusion. And I think about, as we're singing this song, I think about all the things that are happening in our world right now, wars raging around the world. I think about the conflicts that are happening around the world. I think about some of the troubling things that we're facing in our country. I also think as we're in this space together, all of us in different ways in our own personal lives are carrying things that are hard, they're difficult, they're heavy for us. And that's why it's good for us to be in the house of God like this. That what we do is we bring all that fear and we bring all of that concern and we hold it up against the promise of God, or better, we stick it inside the promise of God so that it's surrounded. And we're going to go back into this song in a second here. And I just wonder where you are this morning. I was thinking about how the psalmist said that I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the lands of the living. And some of you this morning, despair has gotten into your heart. Like fear for the future has gotten into your heart and it feels like it's starting to sink the boat for you in some way. So I want you this morning, just close your eyes as we get ready to head back into this song. I want you to think about that thing that's keeping you up at night. That thing that's kind of eating your lunch, that thing that's causing you unrest, unpeace, anxiety. And I want you to take that now and I want you to begin to hold that up before the Lord. Put that inside the promise of God. And so here we are, Lord Jesus, in your presence. Here we are in your presence. And the scripture says that God reigns, and he reigns by the hand of his Christ. That you're in charge of the nations. And you're seated on your heavenly throne. And there's nothing that falls outside of your rule. There is nothing that falls outside of your reign. And so this morning, we put those things in your hands. Come on, church, let's begin to sing together. to the promises of God and sing with faith sing it over your family sing it over your own heart sing it over this nation sing it over the nations of the earth declare your faith in the face of your fears come on church
So you've got that thing. One of the things that I remind myself often is that the Lord has not asked me to carry fears. He's actually invited me to let them go and lay them down. So church, I want you now just to, like as you're holding that thing in your hand, I don't know what it is, but just as an act, a symbolic act of surrender, I want you now just to let it go. Irrational fear for our futures, we let it go. Irrational fear over our families, we let it go. Irrational fear over our finances, we let it go. Irrational fear over the nations of the earth and what's going to happen to our world, we let it go. Irrational fear over our country and what's going to happen. We let it go. You've called us to live in freedom. You haven't called us to live in fear. You've called us to live in faith. Anxiety, we say you have no place in our hearts. You have no place in our minds. We are those who have filled our minds with the promises of God. One ancient writer said that the people of God are those who are drunk with hope on the promises. And this morning we feed ourselves again the promises of God. We drink deeply of the well of the promises of God. And we ask that all fear, all irrational sadness, all anxiety, all depression, all darkness, all division of mind, all confusion and chaos, we cast it out in Jesus' name. We declare you again to be the God who says that I will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on me because he trusts in me. So teach us again to trust in God. And we make this our prayer before you, Lord Jesus. Join me in prayer, church. Let's pray as Jesus taught us. Say it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. If you agree with that, give God praise real loud this morning, church. Amen. Amen. Well, so good to see you this morning. If this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life East. We're one of eight congregations of New Life Church spread out across the city. Joy to have you in our house this morning. Make sure to see us at Connect Central on the way out. We'd love to meet you. And uh, we can answer any questions that you might have, show you how to get involved around here. A couple things I need to say to you this morning uh, to New Life East, the church, the family is uh, so good uh, for us. I've so enjoyed like the transition into RMCA has been so wonderful this feels like it's going to be a good home for us for a long time. One thing that I want to make you aware of is that we have, you know, in our efforts to connect with the surrounding neighborhoods here, we have a couple marketing campaigns that are coming up in the next weeks. So I actually think some mailers have already hit the mailboxes of uh, the homes around RMCA here. There's a social media thing that's going to be happening pretty soon. And then, of course, Easter is already like seven weeks away. Can you believe it? It's crazy. So we're going to be inviting people out to church for that. And what that means is that we're going to have a lot of bodies in the room. And so if you call New Life East your home, I want you to be extra hospitable to people, welcoming them in, drawing them in. We also do need extra help in some of our areas. 
And so uh, we could use some help in our kids' ministry classrooms. All of the positions back there are available from teaching kids to just watching to being hall monitors, all of that. So if you can help us in that way, maybe you served in kids in the past, this might be an opportunity for you to step up and do it again. might be that you have not volunteered ever with us, and this is a great chance for you to get involved. We need your help. We also need help with setup and teardown uh, as well. So if you're volunteer approved and you're just not serving anywhere, jump in on that team. Or if you're not, go see Pastor Colin and we'll get you all booted up. Uh, with that, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to say. This is the last weekend to sign up for the Uganda trip. We got a team right now of about six pulled together, which is just about enough, I think, to go over there. But I just have this sense in my spirit that there are like one or two more of you that need to go. The Lord's been tugging on you and you've been reluctant. Uh, fill out the application today and we'll start that process. It'll be really fun. Okay, without further ado, why don't you turn around and greet one or two or 17 people in the name of the Lord Jesus. Spread some grace and peace and love around the room. Pastor Rory will open the scriptures in just a minute. Good morning, New Life East. Please take a seat when you are done saying good morning to all the people you love and all the awkward people you got forced to pretend that you love and say hi to. It's good to see you all. Um, if we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Rory. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, did we get slides back? Our slides back? Look at that. I don't even have to tell the room that they weren't working, but now they know. So here we are. It's good to see you all. Um, I am going to be hanging out in the exact same passage that Pastor Andrew was in last week, but this is not because I think he did a bad job of preaching that. <laughs> it's never what it is. Um, if you were here last week, you remember that Pastor Andrew, as we've been walking through the book of John, he preached on the story that many of you, if you grew up around the church, you're familiar with this moment where Jesus uh, meets a Samaritan woman at a well, and he has this really sort of profound conversation with her. And usually when we think about that story, what we think about is the moment where Jesus is having a conversation with her at the well. But what actually happens in that story extends far beyond it. And that's what I want to spend our time talking about today because I think it gives us some insight into who we are meant to be as a church. So John chapter 4, starting in verse 27, the gospel writer, he writes these words. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, culturally 
what's happening in that moment is not normal. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Don't you just love people come up, they have opinions, but they just don't say anything. They just kind of stand there and watch it unfold. Then leaving her water jar, I love this, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? This woman is known as the woman at the well because she shows up to the well to get water. She evidently does get water and is so like enthralled by what has happened in this moment with Jesus that she just leaves the water jar completely. She's found something better. You can see the picture that's unfolding here. Could this be the Messiah? She asked. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And here's the deal. I think the disciples of Jesus, the 12 that we think about, were probably smarter than we give them credit for. But also we're just really dense sometimes. Like they're talking to him. He says, he has this thing where he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And their response is like, well, someone obviously brought him a sandwich. He's obviously had a good meal. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Don't ever let someone tell you women can't preach the gospel. Anywho, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him and they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we, much like the woman at the well, we sit with you, we stand before you, and we ask that we would never lose the wonder of what it means to hear your voice, to have you tell us who we are, to have us tell us, to have you tell us the truth about ourselves. We ask that as we open up these scriptures today, that we would see the world the way you see the world, that we would think about ourselves the way you think about us, but that ultimately we would see this call, this, this movement that this woman has as something that we can aspire to. And that as we aspire to it, what would happen is we would become the fullest versions of ourselves, that we would see the church become the church, become the bride that you have always called it to be. We pray all this. In your name, amen. Again, what I think is so interesting is we think about the story of the woman at the well as this moment where this woman of some interesting standing in her world comes and meets Jesus and her world is rocked because of it. And we usually sort of end it there as like this call, this invitation to like meet Jesus and he will satisfy every need and desire 
of your life. But what is fascinating about this woman is it's not just that every need and every desire of her life is satisfied when she meets Jesus. It's that she can't help but go back to where she came from and tell everyone who will listen about it. Like this woman, I don't know if you've ever caught it before, but this woman evangelizes a whole city. She like tells the gospel to every person she can. And the way that John sort of presents it is that the city is transformed because of it. She just keeps sharing the gospel. And how does she share? Well, she says, just come meet this man who has told me everything that I have ever done. And, and certainly they do. They, they step out of their space. They come and meet him and and their worlds are changed. She has this changing experience. She shares it with the world. They have this changing experience. The city is completely changed. We know that it's changed because later in Acts 8, there's this moment. Jesus has long died. His disciples are dispersing throughout the world, sharing the gospel. And Philip comes to Samaria. He comes to this same place that Jesus finds himself. And when Philip shows up there, there's like some knowledge of the gospel. There's like some knowledge of who Jesus was. But there are people who are like tormented. Their lives are torn apart. And he begins to like bring healing into the space. We know that there's like this moment in the gospel like primes this whole region to become followers and apprentices of Jesus. It's a beautiful moment. We have a word in like the Western church for what this woman does. We call it evangelism. And that word makes me feel uncomfortable. I just don't like it because it conjures up all sorts of like images and pictures of what it means. And some of that is because in in like the modern evangelical church, we really just have two modes of evangelism. And one of them, just simplify it, one of them is we just overshare everything. So like our vision of evangelism is like someone is standing on a street corner on a soapbox yelling at people outside of a Nuggets game because that somehow has like determined their eternity because they you know think Jokic is the best basketball player in the league and whatever. But we, people yell at them and say, like, to, you know, turn or burn, and that's like the picture of evangelism. Or now, we, because we have social media, there's like digital ways that you can just yell and try to get people to become Christians. And it certainly just makes me uncomfortable. I don't know about you. But so we, we become the people who overshare. You think about the coworker at your job who just like is trying to get everyone to like come to church with them. Like they're just like begging. Or you have that weird family member who keeps trying to convert your uncle, but it doesn't work. And it just makes Thanksgiving really uncomfortable every year. So we either overshare, or I think even like maybe what is the worst case scenario is we undershare. And by undershare, you know what of course I mean is that we share nothing at all. That we become people who like we have had this experience with Jesus. And all of you in this room are here because you've had some experience with Jesus. Some experience where it's like it's met you in a moment and maybe it hasn't fully changed your life yet, but it's changing like pieces of it and we just end up like harboring those things in ourselves. My like great concern when I think about sharing the gospel and I think about the church is, is that built into the foundation of the gospel is the idea that it would be shared with someone, right? The Great Commission, the whole premise is that the disciples of Jesus would like scatter themselves around the world and they would teach people, they would baptize people, that the good news would go out and they would go forward. I even think about all the moments in the gospels where Jesus he meets someone, he heals them, and, and, and he does this every so often. He'll look at them and say, now don't tell a soul. And you know what they do every time? They tell everybody. It's like the one time it seems that Jesus is kind of okay with people disobeying him. He's like, would you please just keep this to yourself? And they're like, no, nah, I can't do that. I just can't do that. I, I couldn't walk, and now I can walk. How can I not tell people? <laughs> Jesus, people are going to ask some questions. And I was... 
I was laying in the dirt and now I'm dancing. Like people have questions about this. It's just built into the foundation of a book. But my true fear is that when I talk to people about faith anymore, like people, those of you who are a part of our church, people who are a part of other churches, it sounds to me more like what we've done is entered into a really sweet therapeutic relationship with Jesus and that like client privilege documents have been signed. He's not going to tell anyone and we won't either. Like as long as he keeps meeting with us for 50 minutes a week, it's fine. And I say all that to say, I'm not like, you guys know me. I don't stand at our front doors and yell at people about the good news of Jesus. It's just not like in me. I don't do that. But there is something about the gospel that it has to be moving. It has to be dynamic. It cannot be static. It cannot sit in our souls because according to Jesus, if it just sits in our souls, it slowly sort of fades away. The joy of it, the value of it, the excitement of it goes away. So here's what I want to do with the few minutes that we have this morning is I want to normalize what sharing the gospel is for us so that it can begin to happen in our world. Because here's the truth. You may not be sending out promotional and marketing materials like Andrew is, but that means there are going to be all sorts of people who show up at this building. There's going to be all sorts of people that show up at this building. And they're going to want to know, like, who are you? What are you about? What is the gospel about? So here's the first thing I recognize from John chapter 4 about what it means to share the gospel. The first thing is this, is that sharing the gospel is simply telling the truth. It's just telling the truth. Think about every moment that this woman talks about her encounter with Jesus. She says what about him? Come meet a man who's told me what? Everything. Everything. Like that's terrifying. Come meet a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could he in fact be the Messiah? If I came up to any one of you and told you everything you ever did, you would quickly transfer church membership to Woodman Valley. I know what would happen. (laughs) You'd be like, you'd be like, I'm not doing this with you. That's too, like, you're over-invasive. And even so, you just take it culturally. The idea that what Jesus becomes of this woman is a truth teller is a little like, makes us squirm a little bit as well. Truth, I mean, for something to be labeled as truth means that it's like rigid and it has like a framework around it and you can't really negotiate with it. It just exists. And evidently, this woman doesn't feel oppressed by that. She doesn't feel belittled by that. She doesn't feel pushed around by that. She she feels seen because Jesus tells her everything about her. He looks at her, you know the line, like he looks at her and says like, you've had so many husbands and the one you're with right now is not yours, which can feel like quite abrasive. It's kind of unclear what Jesus is doing in that moment. It's unclear if what Jesus is looking at her and, and pointing out is like some level of sexual promiscuity in her life. There are lots of people who think that what he's doing Women, you guys know this, women didn't have a ton of power in Jesus' age. So for a woman to be married that many times means that she has most likely sort of been moved around like an item, like a piece of property, or that her husbands have died off at a tragic rate. Regardless, whether he's recognizing something off about her character or he's recognizing something off about how she's been treated, Jesus just says, I see all of it and it doesn't concern me. I see all of it and I'm not scared of it. I see all of it and I'm not worried about it, but I see it. I see it. He just looks at her and he simply just, and he just tells her the truth. What would it be like for us to think about sharing the gospel as simply just telling the truth to people? Truth at its best is healing. It's not harmful. Truth at its best is, 
it's like liberating. It's not, it doesn't throw people into a cage. Truth at its best, and it releases guilt and shame and uncomfortability. The problem with Christians, and I say one, I say this as one. We don't tell the truth well. We tend to tell the truth in the most brutal way we can conjure up. We think what it means to tell the truth is to lead with how much God dislikes people. If I'm wrong, you can come preach instead. We tend to lead with the truth by letting people know just how much God is actually not for them. I wonder what a different way to tell the truth might be. I think of uh, the great poet, Emily Dickinson. Again, you work with Andrew Arndt for long enough. This is just what starts happening. (laughs) She wrote a poem that some of you may be familiar with because of Eugene Peterson's writing, but she wrote a poem titled, Tell All the Truth, But Tell It Slant. And she says this, she says, success in circuit lies too bright for our infirm delight, the truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children eased with explanation kind, the truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind. I want to exegete the Bible today, but I do want to think about what she's saying here. What she's presenting is the idea that the truth is worth telling, but all of it. But when you tell all of the truth at one time, it is often far too powerful, far too big, far too bright for us to hold in one moment. So she, she uses some metaphors. She says it's like if we tried to describe what happens with electricity or we tried to explain lightning to a child. It's just too much. Your kids wouldn't sleep. And so she says what we must do with the truth is tell all of it. But tell it slant, because when we tell the truth and we tell it slant, it dazzles gradually. I think that's what Jesus does in this moment with this woman. He tells the truth, but he tells it slant, which means he cuts to the heart of it. He, he doesn't just look at her and, and unfold all of her business. He says he knows all of it, but what he does is he has a conversation with her about worship, a conversation with her about where her desires are, a conversation about where her heart lies. He tells the truth, but he tells it slant to sort of stretch this metaphor as far as I can. What happens when we tell the truth, but we tell it slant is that we build ramps for people to get into the life of faith. You know, what's easy about a ramp is that anyone can walk up it. It doesn't matter of your physical condition. It doesn't matter of your emotional condition. It doesn't matter of your, your mental health. You can find a way to God. And when you tell the truth, but you tell it slant, it makes it easily accessible for people. But what we are most guilty of is telling the truth and building a wall. You know what happens when there's a wall? You guys are smart. You can't get around it. It doesn't become an access point. It becomes a a way to tell people what isn't open for them. So tell all the truth, but tell it slant. I think about my friend Nate, who Nate I met when he was 28 years old. And by the time Nate was 28, he had been an alcoholic for 11 years. And Nate... Nate had a routine on his weekend. Nate's weekend routine looked like he would get up on a Saturday, he would go to work for a little bit, and then he would show up at the first bar that he could and start drinking. And by around midnight that night, he would end up in the drunk tank in downtown Fort Worth in jail, sitting there until he was sober enough that he could walk out of it on his own. And then you know what Nate would do is he would walk out 
and walked to the closest bar that he could and start the process all over again. Just what his life was. 11 years, started when he was 17. His whole life was a mess, but this is just what it was. It's what he knew, it's how he did it. He met this couple that he had gone to high school with them, sort of connected with them later in life, and they just kind of befriended him and started to like spend time with Nate, but they recognized all the stuff that was going on in Nate's life. They recognized the, the alcoholism was showing. They recognized that every Saturday and Sunday he was really hard to get a hold of. They recognized that his life was a mess, and, and they just kept being friends with him. They just kept hanging out with him until one day they sat down with Nate and they just looked at Nate and they said, hey man, um, we love you, we've known you for a while. We've just noticed that your life isn't working. It's just not working. They didn't look at him and say, hey Nate, you're an alcoholic. God's really upset with you. You should get it together. They didn't look at him and say, hey Nate, um, there's this place called hell and it's real hot and they won't have beer there, but if you keep drinking it here, you're gonna end up there. They just look at him and say, Nate, your life isn't working. Tell the truth, but tell it slant. And of course, Nate followed up with, what do I need to do? And they said, we don't know. But our church does have Easter services this weekend. If you could come with us. And sure enough, Nate, Easter of 2016, I worked at a large church that decided the right time to have baptism weekend was Easter weekend. And sure enough, Nate, 10 o'clock Sunday morning service, walks his way up to a baptism tank and gives his life to Jesus. Has never gone back once to alcohol, is now a pastor. All because someone was willing, one, to tell him the truth, but they were also willing to tell him the truth in a way that it built a ramp to the life of faith. Listen, sharing the gospel is simply telling the truth. And here's like the thing that should take the weight off of your shoulders is that the greatest truth you are in possession of is your own story. The greatest truth that you're in possession of is your own story. Most people get caught up in the world of evangelism and sharing the gospel because they think what people who don't believe in God want to know is all the theological reasons why they should believe in God. And you know what I found to be true? Those things, while nice, don't convert anyone to anything. It doesn't even convince them that like their life should look a little bit. It doesn't do anything. It, if anything, it creates conflict and, and arguments. I think about what happens in this story in verse 28. It says, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people. So this is her evangelism strategy. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She even tells the truth, but tells it slant. Could this be the Messiah? And then what happens? Well, they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. She just says, listen, I met this guy. I don't, <laughs> far be it from me to say for sure, he might be the savior of the world. Maybe you should come and see him as well. She just says, this is what happened to me. Here, why don't you come and, and see? You don't need a script to share the gospel. You don't need a track to share the gospel. You don't need a nice Instagram channel to yell at people. You don't, you don't need any of that stuff. You are in possession of the greatest truth that you have, which is your story. But you know what happens in churches is I hear two things from people all the time. One, Rory, I don't really have a story. You know, I, and then they follow with this. 
you know, I, like, I grew up in church and my parents were amazing and I always went to like great churches with great pastors and like my family taught me how to give, they taught me how to serve, they taught me, that's a story. That's a story of God's faithfulness. Can I tell you, your story proves that this thing works. It proves that it works. It proves that far beyond one single moment where someone out of a sheer round of emotions got baptized and gave their life, your life proves that it works from generation to generation to generation. You have a story. But I've also heard people say, I have a story, but it's, <laughs> it's a lot. And it's messy and it's not even concluded yet. Can I tell you something about your story? No one has asked your story to be anything more than what it actually is, which is the truth up to this very moment. My story is that God met me as a high school kid who was an absolute train wreck and has dragged me to sanctification every step of the way. I didn't walk there, he dragged me. That's the truth. And we're still figuring stuff out. You guys know this. No one is expecting your story to end with a bow on it. You know what's beautiful about our stories? They will all end with a bow on it. When Jesus returns, when the world is made right, when the kingdom of God is made manifest on this earth, your story will have a beautiful ending no matter where you find yourself. You have a story to share. I think about what the psalmist writes in Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. And then one of my favorite lines in all the Psalms, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. From wherever you have found yourself, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. You want to show what the world, what it looks like to follow Jesus? You want to give people a reason to be a part of the kingdom of God? Just tell your story as it is. I think about, some of you know that we have a discipleship experience here called Rooted that We've taken it after, we're about to start another session of it next weekend. And once that session is done, over half of the adults that call New Life East Home will have gone through the Rooted Experience. It's been a beautiful thing. And one of the things, like one of the values that comes out in the Rooted Experience is the value of story. Is the value of story as your like primary tool for evangelism. And so what happens, I'm giving you like a sneak peek behind the curtain, which I always tell people not to do, but here we are. Is that we invite people every week to share their story of life. We always tell them it's five minutes, 20 minutes later, they're done telling it. And people do this all throughout the experience. And by the end of it, what we ask people to do is to summarize, like, how has God shown up in their lives over the course of just these 10 weeks? Like, what's, what, how has your story been changed over the course of the last 10 weeks? And can I tell you a couple of those stories? One of them was a guy who said that at the beginning of the rooted experience, he felt like God was punishing and taking things away from him, that he was a failure. That he walked into the doors of our church feeling like God was like robbing life from him. Jesus comes to give life abundantly and he felt like God was the complete opposite at best. 10 weeks later, his story wasn't all polished, it wasn't all clean and put together, but what he could say is that he was clearly hearing God's voice again clearly hearing his voice again. I think about a woman who went through, who stepped into Rooted, and what she said was that she'd been a Christian for a long time, but she had found herself now completely unable to relate with God as a father. She could say out loud that she loved Jesus, but she could not say out loud that she loved God. 
This was the story that she was like carrying into this space. What she was able to say after a few weeks had gone by was that God, her father, had begun to answer the longing of her heart by doing a great deal of healing with her and her own dad. Again, story is not perfectly put together, but there are these moments where people can identify the ways in which God has worked through their lives. Or I think about, think about another guy that went through our experience. and I'm not going to tell you who this is because it doesn't matter. But it's somebody that if you, you know who they are, you've seen them around this space. And you would never think that what they brought into it was this, but he walked into it and all he could feel in his life of faith was rejected and unworthy of love and unworthy of acceptance. And then on the last night of Rooted, he got baptized. And I don't, this is not a pro- promo for Rooted. That's not the point. The point is that God is, com- is constantly shaping and forming our stories. And when you come across the people in your life, the relatives, the coworkers, the family members, the, the parents in the carpool line who begin to talk with you about how their lives are crumbling and they just need answers. No one is telling you to look at them and explain the Trinity to them. You just tell your story. You have the greatest truth of the gospel in you. Just share your story. But the other part of that is that you have to be the kind of people who live such compelling lives that someone would ask you in the first place. I think so often we are like these possessors of the greatest truth that we have, and yet we live in such a way that when people look at us, they go, I am not asking them for help about anything. I don't know if you know this, but the way that the church grew in the first century wasn't because people were walking around proclaiming the gospel. That certainly happened. But the reason that people began to join the church, in spite of hundreds of thousands of Christians being murdered and abused at the hands of the Roman Empire, they did it because everything about their world looked completely different, and yet they were completely satisfied. Their stories of Christians who were being executed and persecuted and were so full of joy that as they were being carted into the Colosseum to be slaughtered, the Romans didn't know what to do with them anymore. Because Christians, they weren't sad, they were full of joy. They weren't fighting back, they were choosing to love their enemies. They lived such compelling lives that even in the midst of people being murdered, they were like, we'll go with those folks. I think about what Peter writes in 1 Peter. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He's saying, I want you to live well. Live such good lives. Everyone say good lives. Among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. And glorify God on the day that he visits us. Peter's exhortation is the same as mine is to you today. That we must live in a way that people are so compelled by our lives. That sharing the gospel is just us talking at that point. What's the great quote that I think has been completely probably not quoted properly over the years. But 
We say that St. Francis of Assisi said it, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Did he say that? Probably not, but it sounds really good. But I think it's true. Preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. I think one of the great challenges of sharing the gospel is that we feel the pressure of it. Like it's our job to say everything right, get everything right, and then it's our job to like get people saved and get them into heaven. And I just don't think it is. Think about what Jesus says to his disciples, starting in verse 30, but then jumping. It says, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. This is the crowd that this woman has just shared her story with. Jesus says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the field. So put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a minute. He's talking to his disciples, but this crowd of people is making their way towards him. So when Jesus is saying this, he can see this crowd moving towards him. This is like a literal statement. He says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes or read, turn around, look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may be glad together. One sows and another reaps. You have the saying, this is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. So in Jesus' mind, who's the sower? We'll have Sunday school for a second. Who's the sower? Jesus. Thank you, Colin. It's as if we pay you to know that. Jesus is the sower. Who reaps? We reap. My goodness, guys. Jesus sows. We reap. He says this as he sees this crowd coming towards him. He says, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. If you want to understand how like sharing the gospel works, this is the foundational truth. Jesus does the hard work. We get the privilege of being around to see it happen. That's it. The weight that has been entrusted with you is to catch it, to catch the glimpse of it when it begins to happen. Jesus does all the hard work. He shows up. His spirit begins to push at people. All you have to do is show up and be present, and you will be surprised at the harvest that begins to come out of it. And I say that to some of you because I know that you have been trying to share the gospel with the people you love the most, that you have friends who you have tried to pour everything you can into because you just want them so badly to know Jesus. And you stay up at night and you pray about it and you pray for them and that stuff is all good. But can I tell you, Jesus is taking care of it. Jesus is doing the hard work. There are some of you who are praying for your prodigal children, hoping that they will just come home and meet Jesus. There are some of you who are praying for spouses. You've separated from spouses, but you're still pouring your heart and your life into them meeting Jesus. You're praying for your coworkers and your, fr- your kids and their, their friends and their parents. You're, pr- you're, hope, you're trying to, sh- you want everyone to know Jesus. Can I just tell you the beautiful thing about sharing your story, about sharing the gospel with people, the hard work is on Jesus's shoulders and he can hold it. You don't have to, we just get to be around to see it. Would you stand this morning? As we get ready to come to the table, I wanna invite our communion servers to come up front. Think about the words in the gospel of Luke. He writes that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, somehow what happens in this moment when we come to the table is Jesus continues to share his life with us. And as we eat and as we drink, we are in fact proclaiming, we are in fact preaching the gospel that God came in the flesh, that he laid down his life for us so that the kingdom of God could be made manifest in this space. That is what we are pursuing. That is what we are after. So friends, in a moment, you're gonna come into the center aisle. There's gonna be two servers on either side. You're gonna come forward. You'll grab one of those wafers that represents the body of Christ. You'll take it, you'll dip it into the cup that represents his shed blood. You'll take it back to your seat, eat with your friends and your family among you. If you see people around you that don't have friends, don't have family, invite them in to eat and to drink with you. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Would you come forward to receive communion?
Take the hand of the person next to you. It's a new season for New Life East. New neighborhood, new people coming. Jesus says that when I'm lifted up from the earth, what happens is I draw everybody to myself. And one of the things that I'm so mindful of in this moment is that the church, as Jesus Christ always exists for others, the church never exists for itself. It's for the body of Christ. So we're not here for the sake of ourselves. We're here for all of those who are not yet currently here, all those that God will send. And so with your hand in the hand of the person next to you, we just offer ourselves up to you, Jesus. And maybe the first and the best prayer that we can ever pray is be exalted, be magnified in this house. We pray that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified. We pray that it would be lifted up. We pray that it would burn hot and bright in this neighborhood and we consecrate ourselves to you for that. The first prayer, the Lord's prayer is hallowed be thy name. And that's what we pray. We ask that you would be hallowed in this space. We ask that you would be hallowed in this neighborhood. We ask that you would be hallowed in our lives and that when folks come in seeking God, seeking to be taught the way, 
that our hearts would be open and we'd be ready to do what the woman did, to tell about the one who's made a difference for us. So grant it, we pray, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And now I say to you, New Life East, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'll invite our prayer team forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. Also, if you're upstairs and need prayer, we've got the prayer team upstairs as well, so they'll see you up there. Hey, listen, do you remember real quick, real quick, you remember how at Grand Peak Academy we have fellowship hour that happened in the cafeteria? Do you remember that? It wasn't that long ago. This space is that space for us. So I know some of you are really zealous about tearing down chairs. Don't do that. We're trying to leave this space open. So go, if you've got kids in kids' ministry, go get your kids. Grab a cup of coffee and a donut. We're going to leave this space open for you to fellowship for as long as you'd like to. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord and drink coffee and eat donuts. And we'll see you real soon. Hallelujah. Amen.